Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story Inc., we welcome back the co-founder and CEO of Industry Dive, Sean Griffey. Industry Dive is a collection of 24 business-to-business media publications servicing niche industries ranging from utilities to waste management to marketing, just to name a few. Launched in 2012, Industry Dive has been open book through Sean Griffey's eyes about his 25% EBITDA margins and how he's bootstrapped every one of the publications to profitability. Today, Sean's closing in on $100 million in gross revenue business, and what I love about him is his no BS business discipline and a flag-carrying proven member of niche media creating tremendous value through the quality of the content consumer. In 2020, Industry Dive acquired the content studio NewsCred, and since then they've tucked in several other businesses. I'm fairly certain every content studio and media publisher exec listening will take a golden nugget away. From this conversation with one of my Mount Rushmore of media publishers, let's jump into this episode with Sean Griffey, which was recorded on December 10th, 2021. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Thanks for joining us. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me again, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to take credit for other people's success, and you're one of many people who were kind enough to come on in the early stages of Brand Story, Inc., and I'm circling back and trying to suppress my jealousy at the growth of all these great companies. And, and so before we jump in, I mean, I just introduced in the intro kind of some of the amazing things that you've been doing. But let's start with the origin story and give the 30,000 overview of Industry Dive, you know, from maybe the spaceship fast ride version, kind of from the formation of Industry Dive in 2012 to kind of where you've come to be today. Excellent. Yeah, we're, we're um, you know, uh, overnight success, 10 years in the making, <laughs> um, is what, uh, you know, everyone says, yeah. and, and we are. But um, the company started, uh, as you know, in, in 2012, uh, I have two partners, Ryan Wilson and Eli Dickinson, and, and we've worked together uh, for, for a number of years uh, before that, six or seven years before that, in in business media mm-hmm. um, and at the time you know we started looking around and um, saw a number of things happening we saw mobile becoming a bigger part of uh, how people were consuming uh, consuming content um, we saw business media and, and b2b journalism in general shifting away from content and focusing on lead gen and focusing on events and focusing on anything except what we thought was the core of the business uh, and then we saw some really bad websites, and we <laughs> saw people ignoring data um, mm-hmm. and and deciding that uh, ad-supported businesses couldn't work. And so, so we launched uh, in 2012, thinking that, that this is a perfect time to build something uh, unique uh, and something different. And we could we could take all those things that we had seen, um, flip them to create something that, that was beautiful and friendly and optimized for different environments that was built on content, um, used technology that allowed us to capture first-party data um, that, that we thought would be important going forward. Uh, and we were off to the races. So it, it took us you know, a couple of years to sort of really get our stride. I think every, every startup that's bootstrapped like we are um, probably finds itself for a little bit. Um, but you know, today we're 
over 300 people. Um, 100 of those, a uh, little north of 100 of those are journalists mm -hmm. um, writing in niche markets, uh, anywhere from the retail industry to electric utility to food and beverage, um, we're there. Uh, and we're going to do, you know, about 85 million in revenue this year and, um, you know, pacing for, for more than 100 in 2022. That's fantastic. And I, I first learned about Sean Griffey way back in the days. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it was when you were on a Digiday podcast with Brian Morrissey. And I, I've had Brian on the on the podcast before. And you stuck out to me. I listened to every Digiday podcast and that he was on. And I used to love Brian would like try every way to get like people to talk about real numbers and they talk in percentages and they would never go there and you were just talking in real numbers and no bs and i was like i reached out to you after that i was like yes and since then i use you in more presentations than you know i kind of call you the niche king <laughs> and, i mean you and i bonded over the years about the power of niche b2b media publishing right and so many brands have this fear of kind of missing out yet you've produced highly profitable niche publications vertical by vertical building it through good business practices. I, I'd love for you to walk us through your philosophy of the value of niche. Yeah, well, um, A, before that, I, I love that the numbers stand out. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer. One of the things that I think is most important in the businesses we're in, in uh, the media space, and in content marketing and the rest is, there's no real secrets here. Mm -hmm. um, and everything is an execution game. And I think people think that if they can protect something or hide something or not tell someone something that it's going to help them compete. And it doesn't help at all. So I, I've been a view of, let's just talk about where we are. Let's be honest with everything. Mm -hmm. And um, one day or the other, you know, you, you've got to be better than me. You know, competitors got to be better than us in their execution, not in their secrets. So um, I, I, love, I love when people appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you know, to, you're the only person on a hundred plus digital podcasts who used real numbers, right? And like, <laughs> and you, you had, I, I, I'm sure you said a hundred times, but I love your line. It's like, it almost seemed like you had a chip on your shoulder because everyone's doing these glamour topics and you're like, we have, you know, so he, Sean has what he will say is an unsexy business with a sexy EBITDA or something along those lines. I love that. Yeah. Well, um, I, I try not to let the chip on the shoulder come out too blatantly, but it's a hundred percent a chip on the shoulder. <laughs> but, uh, I, um, I, uh, I think that, you know, we get labeled unsexy businesses and we'll talk about niches. I know I ignored the yeah. question, but we get labeled as unsexy businesses, but, but they're sexy in the way that they touch every person on this planet, right? Yep. Everyone needs the electric utility, you know, needs mm -hmm. power. Everyone has waste and recycling. And these are these are dynamic industries that are changing, and our journalists are covering them uh, in a depth that no one else is. And I think it does a disservice to call it unsexy, e even though that is you know that's how it's perceived by some folks. Um, I stand up and say we we are doing something much more exciting than what it, some of these consumer uh, publications mm -hmm. are. We're doing things that are more important, more uh, uh, more impactful. Uh, and also more profitable. And, and I think when you look at business journalism, it just doesn't get the credit it's due. So, And, and when, when you go into those niches, right? Um, I, I mean, I have this conversation all the time. I think we're finally turning the corner on vanity metrics, right? How many social media followers and all of that kind of stuff. I, I look at your businesses as a models of efficiency and true value. I mean, how many times have you and I been in conversations with people in the media business where, especially when you're talking to agencies and scale, 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 well, it's like, 
and, and you'll give me real examples and I'd love to hear them. The value of if you want to get to somebody in the utilities business or the, you know, the B2B retail business, food and beverage business, the efficiency of what you have, I love. Talk about some of the, like, the metrics of that because the numbers are powerful because you have hundreds of thousands of decision makers in those industries. And so, but to the media world has been so groomed on scale Yet you've been able to prove that it's more about the quality of the um, content consumer that you have. So talk about that yeah. and the value proposition. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things. And the difference for us was defining scale differently than others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we always saw in media, um, people would, you know, the hypothesis 10 years ago was people would say, you know, he, we're going to get a user that's not very valuable uh, mm-hmm. on its own, but if we get a hundred million of them, that they're gonna all of a sudden be valuable. And, and what we tried to do was say, we don't wanna do that. Um, we wanna take someone who's incredibly valuable on their own and and then get a lot of them do mm-hmm. that. And so for us, the electric utility space, you, you know, we have a hundred thousand North American electric utility execs and they average purchase may be $20 million for them. Wow. So for someone to reach them, yep. uh, you know, it's incredibly valuable. And so the, so the costs, you know, the, the, the amount they'll pay in terms of uh, marketing spend to reach someone without buying power is, is 10x, 20x what you'll get on a programmatic ad on, on a random news site. And so for us, we said, let's take that model and get a hundred thousand of the right people, mm-hmm. and and we know we can monetize it. But if if you want to build a five hundred million dollar company, you got to do it a lot of times. And yep. So for us, scale meant how do we take these small niche audiences and do it multiple times, and share where you are in terms of total uh, markets that you're covering right now. Yeah, I mean, depending on how you define some of these, right? Like, if, you know, do you count higher ed and K twelve as two markets or one? Right. But but I say we're in 24 okay. markets right now. Um, you know, the, the numbers for audience standpoint, um, you know, the number that makes, you know, the, that means the most for us is the email subscribers. And yep. we have uh, a bit over two and a half million across the publications. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's a good number, but it's also, you know, there's a, there's a lot of media companies. You look at the Aussies of the world that mm-hmm. said, you know, they had 25 million email subscribers. If I, if I went and told anyone, Hey, I've got 25, uh, million people in the electric utility space, you know, they'd say there's not that many people that work there. Like, how could you possibly <laughs> exactly. have that? Exactly. Um, and so for us, it's really the, the, you know, the demographics and things we care about when we talk to people is, is what is the job, you know, job title and job function of the people who are reading us? You know, are they in the right industry? Do they have purchasing power? Um, all, all of those types of things mean so much more to us than just broad reach. Yep. I, I love that. So, Let's stay there for a second. You're obviously bullish on emails. You mentioned it's one of the few direct-to-consumer fail-safe channels that you can kind of really own. Share how you develop your email newsletter business, um, the way you cultivate, how you earn trust and create value. Yeah, I mean, it it, it starts, um, you know, in the simplest stuff that everyone uh, everyone says, but I'm not sure, you know, people really spend enough time on. And that's, you know, obviously you have to have great content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has to be something that someone will read. And for us, we, we define, you know, our, our editorial model um, as looking at the trends that shape industries and trying to create insight. And so our, our journalists will say, 
um, what are the six things that impact one of these industries? What are those stories? And then we are going to own those stories. And we're going to talk about what, you know, how news uh, relates to those trends, how it may buck those trends, what comes next. Um, and so that's the, the biggest thing, you know, um, that you do. Obviously, in media and marketing, there's a lot of blocking and tackling there, right? And there's yep. a lot of ways of how do you develop audiences and um, converting the organic traffic is by far our biggest source of traffic and the number one, getting people to share is number one. But we also do things like, uh, you know, paid social campaigns mm -hmm. or referral campaigns, um, you know, all of those things. I mean, the, the secret of, of, you know, the, the, the unfortunate part of media, the fortunate part of media is it's really hard to cultivate an audience. Yep. Um, if it was easy, they wouldn't need us. Mm -hmm. You know, marketers would just do it on their own. Yep. Um, but the, the bad side is there's just no magic bullet. So we have teams of people that spend their time trying to find where where is our audience? Where, where are our new audiences? People that may not have heard of us mm -hmm. or seen us and how do we expose them and then convert them? So talk about the monetary value. We'll start, stay with the email in, in terms of, and, and enterprise value for that matter, and how different they are from industry to industry. And I mean, I think most people listening to this understand the concept of CPM or cost per thousand of kind of how the, the, the model traditionally looks at this. But again, going back to your example of 100,000 utility executives who make $20 million purchase, like it defies the typical... Um, model. Do you use CPMs? Walk us through how you actually value those audiences. Well, we don't sell on a CPM basis mm -hmm. to marketers, right? So if uh, it's more of a sponsorship, if you want to reach uh, our audience, it's a sponsorship, uh, unless you're talking about some some of our web placements, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, web, web ads are, are less than 10% of our business, and we don't run any programmatic uh, or third-party ads on our site. Mm -hmm. um, it's all direct, but it, but that's a small part of our business. Um, so we go sponsorship. Now, now when we value, you know, what are we willing to spend or what are we willing to do to sort of acquire audience? Mm -hmm. um, it really does. It really does depend on the industry a right. bit, um, and and what we will spend um, depends on the demographics of the person. So it gets really complex in there in that th there are some places that we may go and say hey let's let's try a test campaign here or let's do something and we're not sure how targeted the audience is and so we'll pay a lot less and you know it'll be the lower rates but if someone if you said hey we've got drug developers in the biopharma space um those mm -hmm. are worth you know 50 100 to couple hundred dollars to us and and we might really spend um to uh organically acquire those you know people mm -hmm. much higher so Let's go to the big picture for a second. Share how you make money and walk us through the pie chart of revenue streams. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, we we help connect marketers um, with their with their targeted audiences, right? The the mm -hmm. business is you know today um, materially uh, all marketing supported, um, and some of that is the traditional that you would uh, imagine. You know, m maybe a little over fifty percent of that is. Uh, you know, uh, sponsorships in the newsletters, mm -hmm. um, sponsored content that may run on the site, mm -hmm. um, those, those types of things, uh, distribution of, of news. Um, the other, you know, next 40% of it comes from our content studio uh, and related services within the content studio. And that's been, you know, the fastest growing part of our business for quite some time. And I think it, it stemmed from the recognition 
that our clients have really complex stories to tell of their own um, and that uh, many companies today recognize that if that if you want to have a relationship with customers it's not going to be a banner ad that does it right yep. it's it's not going to be a billboard that does it it's going to be a deep relationships and um, content uh, either written or video or podcast um, you name it our, our content studio will help uh, marketers in a you know authentic way try to reach those audiences um, and I think you know uh, media companies more than anyone are positioned to do that well. Um, well and then finally you know on the wheel of the buckets the yeah. last 10 percent is uh, virtual events and and sort of social and, and that kind of stuff. Super cool. Well, you, I, I want to go there on the content studio since that's the, the focus of Brand Story Inc. You've made a series of yep. acquisitions. You've been a busy guy since we last actually talked. I want to start with the 2020 acquisition of NewsCred, which instantly gave you kind of a bolster your content studio offering. Walk us through the strategic decision to do so. What you just said, I mean, kind of, you know, spoiler alert, 40% of your revenue. So, uh, but in the, the lessons that you learned in the process and, and how maybe a little bit more color commentary on how the types of things that your content studio is doing. Yeah. So I, the, the rationale behind it, I mean, I think I talked a little bit uh, about what we saw our clients needs were and demands. Yep. yep. Um, but, but I think what, what really excited me is, is when I thought of, and, and when we internally spoke about content studios, um, we thought there's a shift, there's an evolution to what we think the next generation of content studios are. And I, I the, you know, 1.0 of a content studio, what you really needed were good storytellers mm -hmm. and you needed marketing, mm -hmm. right? You needed marketing strategists that help you place that. that. And what we see in 2.0 uh, is something much different, which is, Yes, you, you need uh, good storytellers, you need good marketers, that's, that's the table stakes. But what makes it really interesting now is when you can combine first party data mm -hmm. and real behaviors of your targets, which is what media uh, companies have, right? We have millions of executives there and we can look into their behaviors mm -hmm. and we can look into what they care about. Um, and the example that I, I you know, give to people all the time is you know, last summer, um, there was a debate with one of our clients of that was targeting CFOs, and the debate was, do CFOs still care about PPP loans? Are they still reading about it? Mm -hmm. Is it still a hot, bucket, hot topic item? And what we were able to do is say, well, we have a couple hundred thousand CFOs across our portfolio. We can go and tell you that the week that wasn't one of the top stories they read about. Hmm. Um, and when it shifted, right? And mm -hmm. so we can then bring insights like that from our audiences and say, how do we make your campaigns? How do we make your stories better based off of it? And that's something that a traditional content studio, a standalone content studio can't do. Um, and so I think that that first party data and insights from it's a real differentiator. And then finally, you know, we layer on distribution. And so we can say to that client, okay, now you've created the perfect campaign for CFOs. Um, how about we put it in front of a couple hundred thousand? Yep. And we can do that all in one sh shop. We can, we can adjust it over time. And I think those, you know, when, when you think about um, the studio, I think that's what you're going to need to compete, you know, going forward. Yep. Well, and I love that. I think talk, let's, let's zoom out a little bit. Uh, you've had a series of additional acquisitions. Would love to hear um, your thought process and the strategy behind that um, and, and some of the acquisitions you've made since NewsCred. 
Yeah, you know, they they have so so NewsCred I I say was what we say a capability acquisition, right? We you know, we had a content studio, but it was transactional. It wasn't yep. uh leveraged and NewsCred had a much more um lever I mean a much larger, mm-hmm. but but also their client relationships were much much larger and how they approached clients was a was a little bit more sophisticated than what we were doing at the time. And so we, we bought them and then added those capabilities across our twenty plus markets, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so really leveraged. So so those are one types of acquisitions we do. The the a lot of the recent acquisitions and the rest have been more on the media side, which is Hey, if we want to penetrate some of these markets faster, we, we're really good. You know, we have we've built a machine that can create content, can build a product uh, that can monetize it. Um, growing the audiences quickly uh, is something that we, you know, that just takes time mm-hmm. unless you can find it somewhere else. And so, what we've been uh, really effective with is buying um, buying some other media properties and and brands that um, have good strong audiences. Um, but but maybe we don't think that they've been monetized the way that we know how to, right? Okay. They're, maybe they're making the jump from still making the jump from print to digital, uh, or they've uh, you know just not scaled the way we have. And so we've been able to take those audiences, put them on our platform, uh, and then really really grow. And so those have been super successful um, uh, for us. And, and those are ones that the company, you know, when you build a scaled company that can go into markets really quickly adding you know adding publications to it is something that we're really good at and can do easily uh, you know I, I usually talk to you about this early on and we haven't got there yet i love how you talk about um each of your verticals as its own business right with gross revenue ebitda and like that that you started with a couple and then you grew it and now you're up to 24. talk about how you look at at these as mini businesses and and maybe kind of like a dollars and cents perspective like when you decide to kind of expand and, and, and how you've grown. 85 million with track trending towards 100 million is significant growth um, from where you came from when we first met. So uh, walk us through that. Walk us through some of the economics. Yeah, you know, I, I think the important thing is it kind of comes from our bootstrap mentality, mm-hmm. right? Um, where where w- being profitable really mattered to us mm-hmm. um, because we didn't have venture capital backstopping us or we didn't have this a huge financial partner or fund that was going to um, do everything for us, and so it, it came. It came down to us to to be the ones to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we launch new publications, we sort of take that to it. Um, take that to the to each of our publications, and one of the things we've seen at media companies, or I've seen, is when there's this portfolio, there may be one huge winner mm-hmm. uh, within the portfolio, and the media company decides to take the profit from that winner and use it to fund four or five other ones mm-hmm. in the hope that they can grow those four or five other ones. Um, but what I've seen happen far too often is the the one big one has a down year and all of a sudden five publications are doing layoffs. Yep. Um, and so for us, you know, the, the metrics always been that, Hey, we've got to grow these things. You've got to earn your way to growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, at industry diving, that's what we tell the individual publications of of which is that I, I'm not going to take you know one of our bigger publications and subsidize you mm-hmm. because when that in that other publication inve- inevitably has a down year, I don't want it to impact everyone, and yeah. so um, we're just disciplined about you've got to you've got to cover your own hard costs right as a publication, and um, you know it's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, there's an investment period with any 
new publication. You have to grow audiences. But but once you've been around for the 18 months or so that we think it takes to get break even, um, if we want to hire another reporter, you've got to grow into it, right? Yep. Um, you you've got to fund it yourself, and so um, it, it's it's um you know I'd say unfortunate, but we have teams. You know, some of our biggest publications, the retail publications, has twice as many reporters on it than mm-hmm. some of our smaller ones, mm-hmm. and that's just a matter of um, we've kind of hit the right market. The audience has grown. The monetization's grown. We we now can support adding more content in depth into those markets. But I'm, I'm not going to take it and put it into the other ones uh, and then, then have one sabotage at all. Uh, you know, like you, I talk to a lot of B2B brands in different verticals. I'm out doing a speaking circuit right now in this Vistage, right? So you walk in, it's like 16 different CEOs from different companies. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, it's a home run for you. It's like industry dive. It's like go around the room, pick a, pick a vertical, you're in it. But I, one of the things that I see the most that brands make the mistake is this like spray and pray. Like if you talk to a CEO and you ask them a 50, $100 million type level company, even $250 million level, and you ask them, do you know why you're on five social media platforms? Nine out of 10 can't answer that question, right? And I think yep. there's this notion of, each industry is so unique. I'm curious about how you figure out, how your teams figure out whether it's for acquisition to grow or um, deploying from a distribution standpoint through social. The nuance in an industry of how to find out where those audiences live. Because there's, does that make sense? Like if you're talking utilities, where do utilities execs live like by platform and how you go about industry by industry finding that it's almost like a, a, a custom thumbprint, right? Or your fingerprint, like each industry has such unique places where I feel people are, where you have to go kind of find them and meet them. Yeah, it, I mean, A, you're absolutely right. Um, what works in one industry doesn't necessarily work in all the others um, as much as we want it to. Mm-hmm. And, and and not just where they are, even, even if they're in the same types of places, the type of, the type of offers and content works differently uh for different folks right mm-hmm. um we have an hr publication and and you know the hr industry is this very outgoing welcoming industry they will share uh stuff really quickly and easily mm-hmm. and they will comment really quickly and easily and they will participate um really quickly and easily and that's but that may be part of the personality of, of people that get into hr yeah um, but some of our other industries um you know, A, they may not be, you know, the construction industry may not be on their computer every day, right? They may not be on laptops and the rest. And so we do have a dedicated team that uh, experiments with these. And at times you kind of hit the, hit the vein and, um, you know, find gold in some of those industries. And and other times you're, you're still digging. I I think for us, um, you know, we just try to have a discipline on, on what we'll spend. We try to experiment, um, you know, we, we try to be very clear on what is the value and what's important within these audiences. Um, and, you know, honestly, some, some audiences are harder to find than others. I, I can't say that we've got it so that it's equal across right. all of them, you know, and yep. that's just the reality of it. There's, there's some publications that it's just really hard to get some of these folks. And so we, we will get more aggressive with acquisitions in some, in some of those industries. Um, because they're just, you know, so someone in the biopharma space is hard to find. Like the right person in the yeah. biopharma space is, is hard to find. Um, you can find drug reps, you know, yeah. um, fairly easily. But if you want someone who's making 
CRO, Clinical Research Organization, buying decisions, super hard to find. Yep. And so we will we'll have to change up for them differently than we will for someone if we're trying to reach, you know, someone in sales or marketing. You know, I, I uh, recently read uh, a feature article that Brian Morrissey, former president of Digiday, now um, he runs the email newsletter, the the reboot did on you. And, and he quoted you as saying, quote, we knew there was a lot of money there. It felt like people abandoned marketing at one point. There was this notion that you couldn't support a media business on advertising. We just felt they were doing it wrong and the pendulum was going to swing back. I, I want to follow up with that and, and have you elaborate on what you meant by that. Well, I, I, think, um, I think if you've been around any industry long enough, you see this is hot, everyone has to do this. And then five years later, that's never gonna work, no one can do that. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing comes and says, this is hot, everyone has to do that. And if you go back to 0405, everything was free, everything was ad supported. That was 100% how the new economy was gonna work. And then all of a sudden, people decided it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And everything had to be maybe events for a while, right? Yep. You know, the, the events were going to save media and the pandemic comes and no. And then it's subscription. Everything has to be <laughs> subscription based, right? And the only, the only way to have a media company is subscriptions and, and don't put any advertising as part of those subscriptions. And, and I'm just kind of a believer that, that this, the extremes are where you need to be. Right. Yeah. And and that there's a balance to all of this. I knew that we could make money in marketing supported media. I, I knew with the right audiences uh, and targeted approach to it, we could make money. Uh, when we started, um, we were bootstrapped. It wasn't because we wanted to be bootstrapped. It's because no one would give us money. Right. Um, and so we decided to do it without it. Um, but but the reason people, you know, the, the bigger people wouldn't give us money is that they had just decided that no, you know, the, the only way to make money with, with advertising at the time was get 100 million people reading you. Yeah. And that means going on Facebook uh, and getting Facebook shares and the rest. And, and now that's the least popular thing. And I think there's probably a business that still could, you know, operate on on that. But they've everyone's everyone's kind of swung back. And so for us, it was always let's just do what we know, not worry about the trends, um, build a great business. And, and at some point, you know, people will recognize it for what it is, which That's is a sustainable, advice. you know, sustainable, um, profitable business. Great advice. Uh, what's next for Industry Dive? How are you looking at the B2B media publishing business in 2022 and beyond? You personally. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the, the challenge today for us is how do you walk and chew gum at the same time? <laughs> um, and it's, you know, for us, we, we are in many ways just scratching the surfaces on these individual businesses, mm -hmm. right? I, I always give, uh, you know, a, an example. Uh, there's a company in D.C. called Hanley Wood that was in the construction space. Still, still is. It's not called Hanley Wood anymore. But um, th they were, you know, in the construction space um, doing over $100 million in revenue mm -hmm. just on events and media and all of the ancillary sort of goods and services you can come off of it. And I look at each one of our industries and there is so much more potential that we can do. And, and the great thing for us is when we develop a new product, uh, we develop a new service, we can immediately uh, put it across, you know, 20 plus markets. Um, and so it's really, you know, we can really scale its leverage now for us to say, 
we're going to add a peer-to-peer offering or we're going to do events because we can do them 20 times. Um, and so I think, you know, that, you know, part of the walk and chew gum is we've got to go deeper in these industries. Um, we've got to, we've mm-hmm. got to take the audiences that we've, you know, painstakingly built and, um, you know, leverage them in different ways. And I think that's a big part of what we're doing. At the same time, there's still a couple dozen industries that I'd be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in our model, there's a ton of niches, there's a ton of markets that really fit. And so we can't lose sight of, um, we should keep launching into these mm-hmm. because it, it takes a little bit of time to grow them, right? Yeah. For it to be material to the business, yep. you're looking at 12 to 18 months, 24 months to, to get a seven figure business in some of these markets. The audience just has to grow. And so we can't stop launching into new ones if three years from now we wake up and, and want to have a, a leverage business in different different markets. So we, we've got to do both. We're trying to build a team around doing both um, as, as well as honestly, the, the third thing that we're looking at is how do we build out, you know, the data capabilities. Yep. Um, when you see the trends toward privacy and changes in cookies and mm-hmm. uh, browsers and the rest, I think there's a real opportunity for people who have audiences and first party data. And so um, we're trying to invest heavily in our skills and capabilities around um, not just having the data, but being able to use it. Right. I think there's yep. a lot of people who who've wised up to we need this first party data. Um, and, you know, obviously the first step is starting to collect it and be deliberate about what you're collecting. But the second step, which is the harder one is, okay, now leverage it in a way that, you know, take that data and put it in a way that it's actionable, um, in a way that's really valuable to you and to your partners and the rest. Um, we've, you know, I think we're better than most, but we're certainly no Facebook or Amazon. We've got, we've got a ways to go with some of our data. Yeah, I think uh, that is the number one enterprise value driving theme of 2021 on this podcast by a country mile. First party yep. data and to your point, two parts to it, having it and then leveraging it, right? And so talking with Sean Griffey, the co-founder and CEO of Industry Dive, check him out on Twitter. He's I love his, he's a great Twitter follower. It's at Sean, S-E-A-N Griffey, G-R-I-F-F-E-Y. Also check out Industry Dive dot com where you can see um you know how business journalism that sparks all kinds of amazing things for up to 24 different industries you're likely in one uh and and sean is just one of the guys i respect in the business of business journalism and content marketing before i let you go just one last fun question here uh what are you reading for fun um so I, i have i have two books going right now um, and that's usually a bad sign. It means I can't <laughs> settle on one. But um, one, I'm reading The World of Cordon to Garp for the first time. Wow. Uh, which okay. is something that I had never read and it felt like I should read and I would, would like it. Uh, and so it's been sitting on my bookshelf for a couple years. Um, and, and that's been going really well. Uh, the other one I'm reading, Dino, which is a biography of Dean Martin, um, mm. which, is, which has really started to pick up. Um, so I think it's the subtitles of living the, living the dreams in the dirty business or something like that. (laughs) And, um, it started a little too much of his childhood. I was getting, I was, you know, I didn't need to know all about Steubenville, Ohio and Dean Martin, (laughs) but now we're, we're getting to the parts where of Dean Martin's life that I think everyone wants, right. Which is the, um, uh, Martin and Lewis and the rap pack and the rest. So it's, uh, it's one I'd recommend. 
Fantastic. Sean Griffey, can't thank you enough for your time. Keep on doing what you're doing and, and carrying that flag of authenticity, man. I, uh, I respect the hell out of you and what you've built. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jay. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.